We're back, everybody. I'm Carly Knight. And I'm Sabrina Monet. And this is Procrastination Planet. Where we should be writing, but... But we are celebrating Halloween month. We're claiming this whole month because fuck coronavirus. Exactly. Yeah. So we're doing Halloween all month long. And today's episode, we are talking about horror villains. We're leaving children out of the mix unless Sabrina has something new to add. (laughs) But our previous episode, Donna and I were talking about creepy children in horror movies, and we decided to extend the villain theme. Yes. Talking about our favorite horror movie villains. Horror. Horror. I can't say that word. Horror. Because if you don't enunciate it properly, you sound like you're saying whore. Horror movies. Movies about horrors. We can do a list on those, too. Oh, my God. We need to do a list on movie whores. There's so many. You're a whore, darling. What movie is that from? Showgirls. It sounded like Crystal Connors. You got Gina Gershon like almost 100% right because I didn't remember the phrase, but I heard the voice and I was like, I know. (laughs) Do you like my nails? I really do. Do you like doggy chow? (laughs) (laughs) I love doggy chow. Who knew that movie would be like a cult classic after it came out? I know. Probably because it got panned so hard. Oh, yeah. Although I'm not sure if there's any real midnight movie cult follow-y type stuff for, um, what you call it, Battlefield Earth. Then again, it's its own. It's part of its own cult. Yeah. Talking shit about Scientology. They're going to come for me now. I have nothing they can sue me for, so fuck them. They can go pray to their Dark Lord Xenu or something about it. I think they have to watch that movie when they're getting um, raided on that machine. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to make your stress meter go really crazy. And they'll, then they'll be like, oh yeah, you really do totally need Scientology. Here, watch Battlefield Earth again. <laughs> anyway, I've been charging my crystals and lighting my candles, so the Dark Lord Xenu cannot come for me now. Nice. You have your protected. But how about Cthulhu? Can he can he can he still come for you? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. However, I've um okay. I was gonna make a joke about um about Lovecraft and his shitty racism, but it's not coming to me. No worries. <laughs> Although now I wish I had HBO. Cause it's it's on HBO, isn't it? Jordan Peele's remix of oh, Lovecraft. Yeah. One of the Country. best tele- one of the best shows on television right now. Yeah, because Lovecraft was pretty horrifically racist and so for um jordan peele to come in and do a reboot of lovecraft type stuff as a sort of social commentary i feel like it's subversive af yes i'm here for it oh yeah i need to get someone's hbo password now oh yeah just let me know my friend okay so speaking of villains before we get too far off track did you want to start it off I want you to start it off. I want to hear who you're going to say is a, is, is, is a villain to make it to, to ensure that my list is, is legitimate. Okay. I think I'm going to start off with Annie Wilkes from Misery. How is she a villain? <laughs> you think she's the hero of the story? Did you, what, what did she do wrong? All she wanted him to do is, you know, rewrite some shit. <laughs> When obsessive fans go wrong. Oh, then again, I forgot in our stalker episode or no, it was our bad fan or bad writer episode. You're asking why some of the stalking behavior was actually wrong. Oh, I know. I'm always going to be on that other side. <laughs> of course, Sabrina Monet would be an Annie Wilkes stan. Yes. 
Stan, oh my God, that's our episode title, Standing for Annie Wilkes. That is perfect. And it'll segue into something else. But I need to hear you tell me why she's a villain. Okay, number one, as a writer, I don't want people telling me how I should write my shit, okay? Number one. Gotcha. If I, if I get sick of writing a particular novel series and that's all I'm known for and I'm not allowed to expand beyond that genre, oh no, I'm, I'm going to have some serious rage. I'm going to be like Paul Sheldon and get drunk. And wasn't he drunk in the novel when he was driving and he got into that accident? I think so. I think he's a drinker. Yeah, I'd probably take up drinking again if I had a whole bunch of fans who wouldn't let me write the shit I want to write. It's like, hey, maybe I'm tired of writing XYZ character. Maybe I need to expand my horizons. Maybe I need to grow as an artist. Gotcha. Let me grow as an artist and live my life. Like what she was upset about was like, um, it was two people not ending up together, right? Well, no, she got upset that um, the character, the series character Misery, I forget her last name, but um, she got killed off. Because oh. Paul Sheldon was tired of writing the Misery series. That's what it was. You know, so you many people... killed my Misery! <laughs> so many people bite off of Misery that I forget what the original story was. It's one of those things where you um, know the parody more than you know the source material. Exactly. That is a consequence of mimetic culture. Mm-hmm. So what she did... Um, I think she's extra scary as a villain because she comes across as... Okay, maybe not completely normal at first, but there's kind of that helpful nurturing side to her. Like she rescues him because I think he'd flip the car or something like that. Yeah. And she rescues him and he's, he's back at the house. But yeah, um, she's, she tries to nurse him back to health and then she finds out who he is and she's like, oh, I'm your number one fan. And she just kind of, well, God, I don't know how to describe it. Well, like Kathy Bates's performance. Oh, my God. That performance was stellar. It was. I, didn't she get an Oscar for that? I don't know if she got an Oscar for it. I think she at least got nominated. I might have to Google that. The thing with me, two things come up about Misery. She did Misery, and then soon after, she did Dolores Claiborne. Mm -hmm. And because they're both Stephen King novels, I tend to merge those two characters into oh, one. Okay, so maybe that's why you're sympathizing for Annie Wilkes, because maybe your sympathy was aimed at Dor Dolores, Dolores Claiborne. Claiborne yes. she was, um, I think she killed to defend her daughter. Yes, and then the, the Misery character is completely different. But I there's something about a number of... Um, why can't I think of the actress's name right now? You just said it two seconds ago. Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. There's something about her films in the 90s. They all sort of blend for me. And, <laughs> and I just see all of them happening all, all, all in real time. But another note that I wanted to say, didn't Stephen King write Misery as sort of social commentary on people who nitpick his stories? Yeah. So he basically wrote Misery about all of us. Yeah, it was basically... Um Maybe it, it was revenge lit or something. Revenge and, fic. And that's how he feels. He feels that we all just don't have our own lives to a certain and extent. Said, and then he feels like we're hobbling him. Yeah. She hobbled him literally in the movie. In the book, she cut off his foot altogether. Yeah. In the movie, in that hobbling scene, my favorite part is she's got that sledgehammer all ready to go. And then she looks at him kind of dead calm and says, I love you. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> that was so fucked up. Oh, but, man, that's um, crazy. But yeah, basically, she's kind of this obsessive fan. She holds him prisoner. She keeps him doped up. She's definitely a prime example of somebody who doesn't cuss, but it doesn't mean you're a good person. 
Yeah. I'm wondering if he is kind of clapping back at people who complained about the cussing in his stories too. Probably. People have had issues with some of his themes and definitely some of his language, but he's just like, I cash the checks and I continue on with my life. F you. Yeah. I mean, I get it if, um, like if you're using cussing and you're overusing the device, then it can be really lazy. Yeah. I mean, that's with any kind of writing, though. I really can't stand the moralizing that surrounds cuss words. I mean, there's yeah. a time and a place for language. That's what I've like when I work with kids and whatnot, I work with middle schoolers. And so, of course, they're really experimenting with cussing and shock value and all that kind of thing. And I just tell them there's a time and a place. Right now, we're in the classroom. We use classroom language. If you're going to use cussing, you use it in a different context. Yeah. And really, honestly, I don't care if my students cuss. I mean, they need to learn how to do it properly and, <laughs> you know, do it in the proper context, do it for maximum impact instead of for laziness. Yeah. Like in a lot of books that, um, that you teach in middle school. You know, some of the books in the canon have cuss words and you get the whole banned books thing happening. Refer to our banned books episode from last year. Shameless plug. <laughs> but again, you know, you do it too much and it just gets lazy and you kind of, you kind of get desensitized to it. But um, basically, if kids cuss, it's like, just do it. Do it if there's a purpose to it. Yes. Don't do it to be lazy and don't be bigoted. Yeah. I don't, I don't want bigoted language. No, not at all. In my space because that's disgusting. Okay. Also, if kids cuss too much, it would be just my luck that the principal walks into the classroom. That was my worry at my previous job. The principal would walk in right when someone is dropping an F-bomb. Oh, no. That didn't happen, thank God. But anyway, my point, and I was getting to it, I think... Oh, yeah. The moralizing about cussing, like when people clutch their pearls or... Oh, my God, you said the fuck word. Or like when people... Oh, my God. I've been lately seeing in my Facebook feed... Like these little, I hate the term virtue signaling because um, a lot of right-wingers have co-opted the term. But there are people who just, they, they do that. Like they're posting memes about how they don't cuss and, oh, can you go X amount of time without cussing? It's like this performative, I'm so moral because I don't cuss anymore. And the thing is, I have heard some of the ugliest shit said with perfectly clean language. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then I cuss like a motherfucker and... Like a sailor. Mm-hmm. I cuss like a Joe Pesci movie, and <laughs> I'm aspiring to be a teacher, okay? I'm trying to help today's generation of young scholars to make a difference in the world, and I care about them, and I see the best in them, and I want to help them as much as I can. I like to think I'm a good person, but you know what? I say the fuck word sometimes. Shit, fuck, cunt, piss, etc. Annie Wilkes, on the other hand, she doesn't cuss. No, she does not. She says cock and dirty birdie and she just gets really pearl clutchy about people cussing. Yeah. And yet she's a fucking psycho. So I'm thinking that um, her character also is commentary on people who clutch their pearls about cussing and your lack of cussing does not make you a better person. And I know some people who don't cuss because, you know, it's kind of like against their religion or they're just really not big on cussing. And that's cool. That's who they are. I respect that if they're not big on cussing. But it's the people who act like they're better than you because they don't cuss. Oh, okay. That's what I have a problem with. Again, if you happen to not be a person who cusses, hey, cool. Live and let live. Just don't act, just don't moralize about it. Don't be a dick about it, okay? Yeah. Cuss or don't cuss. Don't be a dick about it. Don't be a dick about it. See what I did there? Yes. Yes, I do. 
the funny thing about we didn't even plan this ahead of time. Uh, you're choosing Annie Wilkes as your first villain in a horror film. Uh huh. It ties into my first villains. Ooh. And so what I went with is Castle Rock. I've never seen that. It is a TV show based on Stephen King's um, stories. So they take a bunch of his different stories and they wrap it up into this world of Castle Rock. And the villain in these stories is Doubt. Where is it streaming? It is streaming on Hulu, my friend. Ooh. You can watch it. Okay. And so what happens in this story... Do you know how there are loops in Stephen King novels where one minute you're here, the next minute you can be somewhere completely different, but it yeah. just happens like a freak accident. So you don't know where you are. That's mm-hmm. why I say the villain in this particular show, in this particular story is doubt because when that shit goes off, you don't even know if you can trust your partner or your best friend. Are they going to believe you and help you out? Or are you going to get stuck in the loony bin? So there, um, there are plenty of villains in this story because they're interconnecting, but I have to give a shout out to someone who was a quote unquote villain, but also the heroine of the story. And that is Annie Wilkes. Mm. Because in this iteration of her life, everything you said about her character in misery, take that woman and put her in castle rock and put next door to her, the vampires from Salem's Lot. <laughs> and That's everything. Yes. And so if there is a cult recruiting people, they get everyone. They put things in the water. They inject you with things. They indoctrinate you into their cult. But do you know mm. who doesn't get, who doesn't take the crazy pill? Someone who's already crazy. And that is Annie Wilkes. <laughs> I loved watching that in real time. Her <laughs> crazy as a superpower. That's exactly what happened in Castle Rock. And something that you were saying when you were talking about cussing, her cussing when she was on this show, oh my gosh, it's just soup to nuts. Soup <laughs> to nuts. Over and over. She just kept saying soup to nuts. Soup to nuts. Okay, I'm going to have to add that to my vocabulary just because that is hilarious. Yes. And cringy at the same time. And so it, it tied in. So if I, I don't want to give it away because I think you're actually going to end up watching this show on Hulu. And in case other people haven't, I don't, I don't know what happened with the advertising because I'll talk about this show and people are like, I love Stephen King. Why haven't I seen Castle Rock? Two seasons on Hulu right now streaming. Hmm. Um, I don't really know what to say without giving too much away. What I will say is Salem's Lot misery, needful things. A lot of these stories intertwine into this world of Castle Rock. And there are lots of Easter eggs um, sewn throughout Mm. the stories. It's definitely worth a watch, but it's, it's interesting to watch when the villain itself is doubt and people's fear of um, reaching out to people and, and asking for help. Mm. In the case that they're not crazy and there's actually vampires living next door or whatever such creature they come across. Carrie's mom. Carrie's mom. Oh, my gosh. She was a great oh, villain. at you. Oh, no, 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 no. Do you know what the best line of Carrie's mom was, right? Oh, there's so many. They can see your dirty pillows. <laughs> I could smell the whiskey on his breath. I, I liked it. I <laughs> liked it. <laughs> oh, she was hilarious. Oh my God. She was so extra. 
So here's the thing. Are we older or are we jaded that that character elicits laughter now? Like, oh, look at those good old days when she, you know, was all nuts. That's, uh, <laughs> but she was frightening when I was younger. Oh, yeah. And Definitely now, frightening. Yeah. And now if, 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 if I was in that house and she was grabbing me by the hair, I'm like, Barbara, you need to calm down. Everything's going to be okay. He was an asshole. You got rid of him. Let's just calm down. <laughs> Get some therapy. Get some therapy. It was 16 years ago. Get over it. <laughs> okay, maybe you don't believe in therapy per se. Let's do healing hands. Yes. <laughs> Let's find a holy man, lay hands on you. Exactly. Not that way, though, because you're clearly traumatized. But <laughs> Okay, so we're, we need to get back on track. What is next on my list? I'm going to say Patrick Bateman. Um, from um, American this, Psycho. American Psycho. Oh my God, Christian Bale. Oh, he was so beautiful. That movie is so fucked up. That movie is so fucked up, but his abs. My God. In, um, the movie adaptions that worked. I feel like I've rung that bell a little bit before, but that's okay. I feel like he's um, well. He's the kind of villain who is a commentary on '80s excess. On Donald Trump, yes. And those like him, like the dude bro, day trader, greed is good 80s kind of guy. Ugh. There was some article. There's so many articles on psychopathy now or psychopathy. Yeah. I'm never going to put the right emphasis on the correct syllable. See what I did there? Yes. Yes, I did. But um, like functional psychopaths, they don't all turn into murderers. A lot of them are CEOs. Oh, yeah. Because being psychopathic means you can't have remorse. Yeah. And it takes a certain lack of remorse in order to take over a corporation and gut it and create what is essentially economic violence. Yeah. So having someone like Patrick Bateman as the symbol of 80s greed is absolutely fitting. He was actually kind of an asshole. Like you thought he was a psychopath, but when you take when you step back and look at it, He's kind of a chump, really. A chump? He, he's a chump because actually... Oh, chump. Okay. I'm like, yeah. wait, is this a new slang word that I'm not <laughs> aware of? You know, I thought the kids that I worked with and like the kids I sub for and whatnot, I thought that they would like update me on shit, but uh -huh. apparently not. <laughs> is this young people slang, Sabrina? And you haven't alerted me? <laughs> I think no, this but is he's very just a, So he's just slang. a regular chump is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And he's just uh, delusions of grandeur in his head of who he is, what he can accomplish, what he can do. Like even all the violence that he imagined in his head, they were they were imagined. He didn't he, he didn't do it. He, it was all stuff that he thought that he was doing. And then in the end, instead of looking at, at it like, you know, I have some issues. Let me get some therapy. He sees like I could do it if I wanted to. That he can and, get away with it. And he can get away with it. Please, one of those hookers would have beat the shit out of him if he had tried. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of them keeps a switchblade in her hairdo. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no, American Psycho, that is a good one. Yeah, he's just like naked in the windbreaker with the chainsaw and the bad 80s music. Because he chooses like the blandest of the bland top 40 as his music instead of something like Slayer. Oh my God. Did you just diss Huey Lewis in the news? I did not diss Huey Lewis in the news. I'm just saying it was like top 40 kind of music. The kind of music that's middle of the road and harmless. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. No disrespect to Huey Lewis in the news. That's on my guilty pleasure list. 
No, he, yeah, that, 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 that is a great villain. Uh-huh. American Psycho. Gosh. Murdering someone to hip to be square. Hip to be square. I know. Oh, God. What was it? Um, the Daily Show? Kind of the original version of The Daily Show. Who was the original host before Jon Stewart? Uh, I think it was Craig, Craig Kilborn. Kilborn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, Frank DeCaro used to do the movie reviews. Okay. And I think he did the movie review for American Psycho. And he was talking about like the murder and mayhem he was committing. And he especially referenced the scene where he's chainsawing a guy to hip to be square. And he's like, Huey Lewis in the news? What a sick fuck. <laughs> like all the, all the things to play in the background. It had to be that song. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I know the movie was extra memorable for you per our previous oh. episode that touched on American Psycho because one of the hookers was called Sabrina. Rosa, <laughs> yes, I forgot that. Yes, one of the hookers was named Sabrina and he called <laughs> out to her. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Don't just look at it. Eat it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, we're going to hell. The things that will live in infamy. Yes. That's right. So what's next on your list? Let's see here. Oh, and uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to another one that you plan on watching. I'll be very careful with this, but I got to go with Lovecraft Country. Oh, my God. I got to I got to watch that. I need, I need to gank the password at some point. And the um, the villains in Lovecraft Country are scary 1950s white people. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And, it, 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 the way they wrote it and the it, it, the atmosphere in it. So you have people who are trying to track down objects that can lead to immortality, that can lead to monsters, that can lead to, to, to black magic spells. Like a lot of scary stuff, right? A lot mm-hmm. of hocus pocus scary stuff. But at the end of the day, nothing in that world, um, this world or the next world, is as scary as when they get pulled over by officers on the road in the middle of the night and they're asked for their driver's license. And then the officers look at them and just, you just know it's going to go bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it just showed you like one minute you're going to, you're looking at um, what are those things that were in Lovecraft country? You know, the, the whooping dogs, the, um, the dogs of hell. Oh, so, the hellhounds? Hellhounds. So one minute, you're like, oh my God, there's going to be hellhounds. There's going to be hellhounds. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Something scarier than the hellhounds. You're getting pulled over by a police officer. Yep. And you're and you're in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Hellhounds don't have shit on this. Be careful. <laughs> so Yeah, kind of shows you that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yes. And so you just really need to watch Lovecraft, um, Carly. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, as far as... Another thing about the villains in here, something that I like that they show, I don't know if this is the truth or not. Um, I haven't delved too much into it myself and analyzed it, but do you know how we are today and we'll mm-hmm. see bad shit happen? And then you know how, just how we were laughing about Carrie's mom in, in Carrie. Mm-hmm. We know she had mental illness, but we also know that she believed there was something spiritual about it. You know, she's loopy, but we, we kind of crack jokes about it. Uh, but we know the truth. Uh, in Lovecraft Country, the way that they build it is these oppressors that were hurting this particular community, deep down they knew there was absolutely no difference, that it was all about money and redlining and et cetera, et cetera. And they did mm-hmm. it anyway just because 
it made them feel better about whatever shit they had going on in their own lives. Oh, yeah. That's pretty much the root of a lot of that. Yes. And so when they put it when they put it that way and then you see them within in the show and you're like, oh, some bad shit's going to go down. It, it, it's um, the things that scare you in Lovecraft are completely different from what you believed you would be scared about from Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. It's a good way of um, I had a point. And it flew away. Well, here's the thing. Lovecraft was a racist, right? And mm-hmm. they delve into that. So what they, another way of looking at it is that the scary things were not the hellhounds or the Cthulhu that Lovecraft wrote about. The scary things were the uh, racist beliefs that people like, like Lovecraft had and um, the things they would vote on. Uh, So there's that flip side of the coin to it. But um, Lovecraft can get very frightening at times. I can't wait till you watch it and let me know what you think. I will definitely have to do that. I like how Jordan Peele uses um, horror as social commentary. He did those two horror films, Us and Get Out, which were amazing. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Us yet. I put that in my Netflix queue. I was 50-50 on it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. But it didn't stay with me the way that Get Out did. Oh, Get Out was terrifying. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. I think we need to talk about the Armitage family. Because that's on my list. Armitage family. The family in Get Out. That, they were called Armitage. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What, what, what about them is, uh, is villainous to you? What stands out the most? Well, pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the fact that they put on this facade, like they're progressive and they're open-minded, but it turns out they want to steal the consciousness of, um, well, they want to steal black bodies so that their consciousness can live on. Oh, that was frightening. Mm-hmm. But wait a minute. Did they ever figure out why they, they chose black people in particular? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I think it was a commentary about how we commodify black bodies. Gotcha. Like basically, there, there's only a mainstream acceptance for black people if they're um, if they're doing sports or if they're acting or singing. Celebrities. If they're doing, if they're doing something for our amusement. Ugh. It's kind of a modern day menstrual show thing. So I think Peel is extending that commentary. I had something more academic to say, but he's kind of he's kind of um, extending that metaphor of exploiting black bodies for um, for white consumption. I agree with you. And then, of course, Rose, the um, the white girlfriend at the end. Of course, she was into being choked. <laughs> All I can think of is, uh, white people. <laughs> the Armitage family. And in a sense, wasn't it a form of immortality? Because as mm-hmm. soon as that body ages, they could just do the experiment, the uh, procedure again. Exactly. And go into another and host another body, get into another host. Oh, my gosh. So it's pretty much about um, about disposing of black people. Oh. <sighs> Goodness. Jordan Peele has a lot to show us. I haven't revisited, I haven't watched his um, take on Twilight Zone, which is on CBS Access, which means you got to pay the premium. It sounds good, but why do they have to put it behind a paywall? Those assholes. (laughs) Who is next on your list? I think it's your turn. Oh, that's right, because you just talked about the Armitages. A little bit. You'll never stir tea the same way again. I, I forgot to add on that um, I think we might need to do a deep dive into Get Out at some point because oh, yes. there's so many layers to it. Oh, yeah. That I can't even cover it in a single segment. I feel like I'm not doing it justice. To, to delve deep into, yes. Yeah, I want to do a deep dive. Gotcha. Into Get Out. I think that would be a fun episode. Awesome, awesome. A terrifying episode. <laughs> 
I should let you get to the next thing on your list. Well, I just, um, honorable mention before I go on to the next one. Um, I was going to do Samara from the ring cause she used <gasps> to freak me out, but that's oh, yeah. probably, that's probably on your, on your children's episode, right? We didn't actually cover that one. Oh, okay. So let me keep it in here. My next uh, choice for a villain is Samara from The Ring. Um, basically, the story is this random video. You might end up with a random DVD. And when you put it into your player, it's going to be this little girl crawling out of a well. You'll get a phone call telling you you're going to die in three days. Oh, correction, Sabrina. VHS. Uh-huh. VHS. I said DVD because I didn't know if anyone would know what VHS was. Okay, to, um, to my students who aren't supposed to be listening to my podcast because it's not for, um, not for people children. under 17. Yeah. Procrastination Planet is not for the children. <laughs> so for my students who are listening to the podcast, even though they're not, they're not supposed to, a DVD. I mean, oh God, they probably don't even know what DVDs are now. Um, a VHS was kind of like a DVD, but you had to actually physically rewind it. <laughs> It was filled with tape that went back and forth to show you the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and the thing, the reason why Samara scared me is because like previous characters, we talked about the mother and Carrie, um, Annie Wilkes, this person was five years old when whatever happened to her happened to her. She has no, there's no animosity. There's no bitterness. There's no anger. She's just simply following a path that, that was already created for her. She is exists on DVD or she exists on tapes that have been copied over and over. And she does the same thing. She crawls through that TV. And if she touches you, you die. That's it. And so it, it, it just seems like there was an inevitability to bumping into her. And that she didn't do it for pleasure or because she was on a quest. It's just, it was what it was. I think it, it, I would compare it to like, if you accidentally bumped into a leper, (laughs) 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 they didn't know they were killing you. They were just breathing. (laughs) Well, now it's like anyone who might have Schrodinger's COVID. (laughs) I didn't know I was a super spreader. The ring now as a commentary about the Rona. They probably could. Oh my goodness. I'm surprised since this was made in the era of the VHS. I'm surprised that all of those copies and copies of copies were still of high enough quality. You would think that like the um, hundredth copy of Samara would be like really super weak. And the worst she would do is give you a cold. Oh, exactly. So um, yeah, the ring stuck with me just because of the... (sighs) It was it was the era of like Final Destination and those shows, and there was a lot of stuff coming out of Japan. And, oh, like um, um, the, grudge. the Grudge, yeah. And so with their, you know what? Ever since the Ring came out, the influences on horror from um, Asian ghost stories have been prevalent in all of the work. And the oh, reason yeah. why that scares me is because those was the stories that scared me when I was little. It was those things like. Oh, and then it's going to come and get you because I was bad, because it's evil, because it's scary. No, it's going to come get you because that's just the way the cards were dealt. Sorry. And I'm like, so basically these evil spirits are like cancer. Yeah, it's just random. Oh, God. Shit. 
So yeah, that, that, I think that's what spooked me up. The randomness of it, the, the inability to, to use good because before, like, you know, you have exorcists and stuff. It's like, you can grab a priest, you can say a little prayer, things, you know, disappear. Or but don't with- go into the basement. <laughs> like 80 slasher films don't have sex. Don't go into the basement. Don't say you'll be right back. And speaking of those rules, uh oh, I'm gonna go with Ghostface and Scream. Oh my gosh, that is a good one. I lo- I remember exactly. I was in Tahoe when I saw that movie back in '94. That's how old I am. I can remember the movie theater I saw it in. You remember being in a cabin and the phone rings and it scares the shit out of you? No, uh, uh, sorry. When I say Tahoe, I mean like the Tahoe. Like we, I mean Reno. I mean it was a movie theater attached to a casino. <laughs> That's wow. how we that's how we went camping. <laughs> oh my gosh. You didn't but, have your casino card. That was considered roughing it. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the, what what is it about Ghostface in that story? Was it the rules? Was it the way it was uh, written out or the tongue in cheek with they approached the horror film? All of the above. Okay. And it was really scary. You know, it turned out to of course be the boyfriend at the end, but it was Oh, God. It was the way that he manipulated Nev Campbell's character. Oh, yeah. Like he was um, acting like he was this, you know, protective, nice guy boyfriend. He just wanted to keep her from, you know, being scared of Ghostface and he didn't want her to get murdered. But he was using that as a means to pressure her into sex as an excuse to kill her because she had sex. (laughs) That made him even worse as a villain. Psychopath. Because he wasn't just some random guy in a mask slashing he was manipulating and masterminding and basically he was a killer fuck boy. Did they have sex? Mm-hmm. Cause the final girl, one of the rules is to be the final girl and survive in eight in an eighties movie is to be a virgin still. Oh, that's right. And he was like, well, you had sex and you know, there was the whole monologue about how she didn't keep her virginity. So she can't be the final girl, but she ends up being the final girl. She ends up being the final girl. I like how Wes Craven subverted all of those um, 80s slasher tropes. Yeah, the 80s slasher tropes. That's what I'm looking for. So I like how he took that and he kind of brought the horror movie genre back to life. Yes. Yes. And then, of course, it's the random calls in the opening scene. Oh, what's your name? Why do you want to know? So I can see who I'm looking at. In the days before caller ID, is that crazy? The idea that someone could be creeping in the bushes and looking at you and then calling you at that very moment, that is terrifying. If they the fact do that, that someone can look into your house and see what you're doing. I love having my privacy. Yeah. And the idea of somebody breaching that privacy is just terrifying. In that moment, I think I would do something like grab pizza or something and smear it over my shirt and be like, what? What do you see? <laughs> oh, no, what do you, you see? would. Yeah. <laughs> The most defiant final girl ever, Sabrina Monet. <laughs> she lived because just no one would bother. She was just <laughs> too much trouble. <laughs> I don't have my hymen, but I have pizza stains. Oh, gosh. I wonder what's going to happen to them in the next scream that's coming out. Oh, yeah. They're rebooting everything these days. No, they're not rebooting. They're, they're like catching up with them now. Like Nev Campbell's coming out and scream. How cool is that? Yeah, Scream 5 for 2022. That is insane. You're like, it sounds like it's going to be sad. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, dude. But um, you did scream and you brought up Wes Craven. So I've got to put this one in here. And I the reason why I'm using this particular story, and I just saw this last night and it, it entered my list right now, which is why I grabbed my notebook. Um, I don't think I give any shout outs to Clive Barker. Oh, Hellraiser. Yes. So instead of Hellraiser, what I am using is his anthology, Books of Blood. Hmm. And so this is what I have to tell you. I actually binged Haunting at Bly Manor this past couple of days for this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, which was loosely based on Turning of the Screw. And what I've noticed in the past year is all of the horror films that have come out lately, they're horror films that are really dramas that use the the um, genre of horror to really get a point across that for a film that could have been just a dramatic film. Mm-hmm. And so there was no need. So when things like that happen, and I've been overloaded with those kind of quote unquote horror films. I need an actual horror film. So last night I chose books of blood by Clive Barker. And so what I noticed that he has in all of his stories, he has visceral fear. Mm. Um, and that is That's the best kind of fear. Yes. Not this thing like, um, Oh, it's, um, my fear is a ghost. What is the ghost? And the ghost is like a manifestation of regret of a lost love from 20 years earlier that you never dealt <laughs> with. It, it, it's good. It's great story, but it's, that's not, that's not what's keeping me up at night. You know, that's not like a clown with baby teeth. Exactly. So um, in this particular Books of Blood, the villains are people who actually want to help you, but they don't know how to help you. I'm going to spoil this one because I don't think anyone has. You're not going to watch Clive Barker. And if I spoil it for everyone else. Is it shit? No, it like came out this weekend. Books of Blood? Yeah, Books of Blood. Maybe don't spoil it. Okay. So um, just, to, just to tell you, we have different people who all live within the same vicinity who are dealing with uh, supernatural entities that deal with death, hence Books of Blood. But some people do things that they believe are good because but they're actually bad things, but they believe it's good and they have no idea what they're doing is wrong. And in the end, he sort of subverts it by... A lot of people agree like, oh, that horrible shit they do. Oh, it's needed. It's absolutely needed. And that's where the scary comes in. Ew. Yes. That's like when we talk about creating like multidimensional characters. Yes. A villain is scarier. Not when they're this mustache twirling. I'm bad because bad is fun. It's more like the bad guy thinks they're right. Yes. They think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing good. And sometimes, you know, it's even scarier if sometimes they have a point, but the way they go about it is wrong. Yeah. Because, you know, that's why that's how people operate in real life. The decisions they make, they believe it's it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And it makes them more realistic, too. And that's what makes them scarier is because you can meet these people in your real life. You can't just close the comic book or turn off the cartoon or whatever and go, okay, I'm safe now. Yeah. You close the book or you leave the theater and you go, oh, God, I could bump into that person today. Oh, dude. What's next on your list? I know you got a good one. Oh, God. What's next on my list? Let me grab my list. I had to take Holly outside to do her business because she has the best timing. But she's my baby girl. I can't hold it against her. I am going to talk about Angela in Sleepaway Camp. 
Why do I not know this one? How do you not know Sleepaway Camp? Hold on. The IMDb is helping me here. Okay. IMDb the sleepy, Sleepaway Camp. It's an 80s film. An 80s film that spawned a whole bunch of really super campy sequels. Um, the original was actually a little more sad than it was campy. Okay, what happened? Okay, so this Angela person, she loses her family, including, I believe it was a brother. Okay. She either lost a brother or a sister. She lost a sibling. She lost her parents. She was sent to live with an aunt. And then her... That was scary sounding. Yeah, my, my door. I had to go back and bring Holly back in the house. So I think she and a cousin go away to the titular sleepaway camp and she's really quiet and very introverted and she gets bullied a lot. And so I end up feeling really sad for her. And at this camp, a whole bunch of people get murdered in all sorts of creative ways. And I think there was only one character who didn't actually deserve the murder. And that's how we established that. Spoiler alert, Angela is a villain. Wow. Because the rest of the people who got killed, they fucking had it coming to them. I'm just going to say it. Gotcha. So been a dickhead. These revenge horror films where someone who was wrong goes after the bad people. I get it. Yeah. So um, she kills off a bunch of assholes. So you end up kind of siding for her. There was a character, again, who didn't deserve to get killed. So that's how she crossed a line. Gotcha. But this movie is best known by its shocking twist scene at the end. What happens? Because it turns out Angela is actually a boy. What? Yeah. Well, the aunt, um, was it Angela's sister who got killed? And so the aunt ended up um, raising her as a girl because she missed the um, the daughter more or whatever. Aww. She had a rough life. Gotcha. At the end, she's like, I think like running around naked and all of a sudden you see the shot where her head superimposed on a boy's on body. A body. It, which probably would have shocked people in 1983. Yeah, and then, like, her face is frozen in this kind of ghastly rictus. Whoa. And you're like, holy shit. You know, in the 80s, the fact that she would have been a completely different gender than expected would be the horror twist. But just that face that she makes, this ghastly, maniacal face that she has, and the camera just kind of freezes on it. Whoa. That face, you can't unsee it. And then the sequels were hilarious. Like the first movie, it was a little more serious, a little more sad. And then the sequels were just campy as shit. Sadly, I think I saw the sequel. There's quite a few of them and they're so dumb. They're kind of your typical like 80s TNA sort of slasher sequels. Yeah. And then Angela kind of, um, I don't know if she's kind of a prototypical Annie Wilkes. But she's kind of um, this puritanical June Cleavery type who murders her fellow campers for not following good moral values. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. It's it meant to shit. But what's funny about the original movie, well, the director, I think, was a gay guy. It was one of the few horror movies, if not the only one, that wasn't a TNA movie. Like, most of the camera was um, leering at male bodies. Wow. Guys in their shorty shorts and their crop tops. I think the 80s was the last time a guy could wear like a belly shirt and not have a sexuality question. Or those uh, those really, those little Daisy Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> the man Daisy Dukes. The man booty oh. shorts. I mean, the girls were, you know, they're wearing their skin tight clothes and, you know, doing their like late 70s, early 80s sexy thing. Gotcha. But the women weren't, there was no, um, there were no titty shots in that. There wasn't female nudity in that movie. That's awesome. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It was definitely a departure from your usual 80s slasher. 
Oh wow, you're, I can't believe you're better off on the um, the '80s slasher flicks than I am. <laughs> Have you seen American Horror Story 1984 yet? Yes, that is that the best. Yes, I loved it. But now that you now that you've said this, I think a lot of it was uh, influenced by probably Sleepaway Camp, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. A little bit of Sleepaway Camp, a little bit of Friday the Thirteenth. Oh yeah, I, I love the hair and everything in um in nineteen. Oh my god, Montana with her bleached hair. I oh. love the I love the fact that not only is her hair that blonde, but it's dry. <laughs> like she needs her ends conditioned and clipped, and it, it's so realistic and so specific. Because a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times you see like blonde hair that blonde on TV and it's all extensions and it's still all shiny and healthy looking and yeah like this vinyl Barbie hair but Montana's hair was bleached and fried like she did it she really went through it yeah <laughs> she took a bleach kit like a L'Oreal bleach kit to the sink in her bathroom and she left some I mean it wasn't patchy it wasn't a patchy dye job but her hair looked dry she yeah. needs like a protein pack and a hot oil treatment. She was a real warrior. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bleach hair warrior. <laughs> but that that was so campy and beautiful. I don't want to spoil any of that. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to say the Night Stalker shows up. And for some reason, he's super into Billy Idol instead of ACDC. <laughs> that is definitely a case of artistic license. And it works. Yeah. Oh, God. The Night Stalker is definitely one of those that scared me when I was a kid. Because I was a kid during the 80s, and he was still loose, according to the reports. I gotcha. was living in the high desert. Wow. I was living about an hour and a half north of all those places he was killing. Oh, gosh. And so I always thought that any minute now, he would come and kidnap me or something. That is scary, Carly. Like when I was running to my, my friend's house on the corner, you know, she lived a, f a few doors down. Okay, this is how old I am. I'm old enough to have played outside until the streetlights came on. <laughs> That's a privilege. That's a good thing. Yeah, and so the streetlights came on. Oh, God, I got to go home. And then I ran home as fast as I could because every car that came, if a car was slowing down, oh, my God, it's the Night Stalker. It's got to be the Night Stalker. And so I'd run in, run fast into my house. And um, when they finally caught him, you know, his head was all bandaged because all those people in his... God, what neighborhood was he in? I think he was in... Um, where was he apprehended? I think it was... Was it East LA? I'm going to have to look that up. Let's see. I think they saw a composite sketch of him. And he'd done something. Forgot what he did, but... Okay, Night Stalker Crimes. I'm on Wikipedia. Oh, Capture. There we go. East LA. Oh, yeah. It was in, in East LA. And um, per Wikipedia... After noticing a group of elderly Mexican women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, or the killer, Richard saw his face on the front pages of the newspaper rack and fled the store in panic. Oh yeah, because there was a composite sketch and they identified him from that. And then he tried to carjack a woman and then he pursued by bystanders and they just beat the shit out of him. Nice. One of them had like a metal bar, according to this Wikipedia article. Sources were cited. So any of my students, if you're listening and you shouldn't be, let's make this a teachable moment. You can use Wikipedia as a source, a source, not the source, but let that be your starting point, not your final source that you use, because sometimes people will put weird stuff on there. However, there's a lot of pedantic people who will edit it back. Wikipedia is your jumping off point. Look at the sources that the article cites. 
and go from there. I'm just going to say this one part. They say he was a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. Mm -hmm. Meaning that his schizoid personality disorder contributed to indifference of the suffering of his victims. Yeah, I think he had a head injury and then also his uncle was um, a Vietnam vet and then he was his uncle was like a fucking psycho. So I'm I'm not sure how much of it is nature and how much of it is nurture. Gotcha. I think his mom was exposed to like a lot of chemicals or heavy metals or something at one of the plants she was working at. Okay. So that had a role. And then his uncle was showing him all these pictures. Like he was in his like formative years and his uncle was showing him these pictures. Oh, that that's going to stay with a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of psychos, the last thing on my list, but you have to remind me if we've already talked about this. The villain in my list is Buffalo Bill. Oh, yeah. I think I was talking more about Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lambs. We did talk about Silence of the Lambs, but that's okay. You might have a new thing to say about it. No. um, As far as villains are concerned, I watched a lot of movies very young that I really shouldn't have. And Silence of the Lambs, I think I was about 10 years old when I watched that VHS. It was one of those things where, like, I think the parents oh God, my watched age it. Showing. I remember being a, I remember being a high school freshman. You probably watched it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched like the new. Yeah, it came out when I was a freshman. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And so the thing was that came out. I think it was like the parents must have watched it because I took that VHS. I popped in. And I was like, "What's Silence of the Lambs?" And then for huh. the next two hours, just sat there with my mouth open, like. <gasps> And um, a fear of mine, you know, fear of Buffalo Bill. It's, it's um, you know how he, he went around in the dark, right? Yeah. My fear is that I would get kidnapped in the middle of the night. So as soon as the lights were off, if I, I, I wouldn't turn around because if you turn around, something might jump out at you from the darkness and grab you. And he's got his um, night vision goggles on. Oh, my God. I think I do remember you talking about this. Like yes, I, th- I think I brought Buffalo Bill up. Your fear of being a polite chubby girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you're a chubby girl, be rude as shit. Be rude as shit. Don't help them move that shit into the van. No. But, do not be um, a helpful chubby girl. Yes. He was a... That's a true villain for me because he really did. He kidnapped those people, threw them down wells. But then another thing that I've noticed, and it's um, this new job that I'm at, a uh, lot of literary references, people do this. And I didn't know it was a thing until I heard it. So many jokes about it's put the lotion on your skin or it's the hose again. I didn't know that was a thing for a while. And then I see memes coming up. So there's been a resurgence of that. But instead of a scary, it's a ha ha. So it's it's funny what 30 years will do. Oh, I found a mask on Etsy. And it's um, like a little airbrush stencil of Buffalo Bill. Oh, my gosh. And the mask says... It puts the mask on its skin or it gets phase one again. Oh, my God. That's a good one. The guy who wrote Hannibal, he has created some very crazy villains. Thomas Harris. What is Thomas Harris's story? <laughs> that was the thing about Clive Barker. Like you think Clive Barker just came from this weird, weird world, but he was actually raised in a normal middle class family in London. And they asked his parents once, like, why? How did he? Where did he come up with all of these stories? And the dad's like, I have no clue. We have no idea where you got any of that stuff from. That was like John Waters. He was born just to a regular middle class family in 1950s Baltimore. And he's bent and twisted as fuck. (laughs) 
Although I think maybe it was kind of that stifling conformity that made him bent and twisted. So maybe that's kind of Clive Barker's thing. Gotcha. Is it Wes Craven or Clive Barker who was gay? Clive Barker. Okay. Because John Waters, he was gay in, you know, middle class suburbia in the 50s. So I think having to be um, forced to conform when the way you're born is already considered wrong. I think that's enough to make you want to do something subversive. Gotcha. It's enough to give you kind of a subversive viewpoint. It's either that or you get really repressed. And if you're really repressed, then that's going to make you bent and twisted some other kind of way. Yeah. But he kind of channeled that into creative endeavors. So shout out to Clive Barker. I really enjoyed uh, Books of Blood. And why do I get Wes Craven and Clive Barker mixed up all the time? I don't know. I think it's because they came up at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's the Craven and the Clive together. Yeah. The C names. Not the C words, but the C names. You're funny. We've run through a pretty good list. We have. So that was fun. I know. I love horror villains. I, I think you and I can talk about horror movies and horror stories forever. Right? It's just one of those things. Can't be horror, be horror, slasher, legit, oh my god, what the fuck is this? Extreme horror. <laughs> Not torture porn, though. I can't do that. It's just a lack of imagination, and you wonder how the hell they got the money to, to even produce that, and all the films that could have been made instead of that. Those are the directors and the writers I worry about, the ones who just do the um, gore for the sake of gore. That's stupid, yeah. It's like, okay, I, I think you're the one who's fucked up. Yeah. The ones who just kind of um, explore fear, I think they're the healthier ones because they're using their writing, you know, as a healthy means of expressing fear or commenting on society like Jordan Peele does. Yes, because uh, I was going to say this. You, you're right about Clive Barker. If you look into his characters, even the characters of, of Hellraiser, they're these characters that from the get believe that they're, quote unquote, an outsider within their own environment. Yeah. So if you look past the, whatever that guy's name was. Pinhead. Pinhead. If you look past Pinheads and just look behind at the story. Yeah. They're, they're, they're people who felt like their stripes were different. All right. Thank you for staying tuned during one of our Halloween episodes. I'm Carly Knight. And I'm Sabrina Monet. And this has been Procrastination Planet. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Procrastination Planet has been written and produced by me, Carly Knight. Our logo is designed by C. Trojan of C. Trojan Art. Our theme music is Laser Unicorns by Christian Penn, courtesy of Jumendo Licensing. Check us out at procrastinationplanet.com. Over there, you can catch links to our bonus content for every episode, as well as links to our Patreon and our Teespring pages. All other sound at Procrastination Planet is courtesy of Charlie and Holly our official podcast puppies. Don't forget to drop us an email at procrastinationplanetpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing.